The title of today's talk is Meta, an inner, sorry, a path to inner peace. And in a way, it's a continuation of the talk that Aya Viranyani gave yesterday when she talked about the purification that happens as we are doing the metta meditation practice. The purification of all the defilements or the hindrances, as she said, like taking it more general. But today, then I want to become more specific and also talk about how to deal with anger when it comes up during the metta meditation practice. <clears throat> so peace, this is something we all want. Peace in ourselves and peace in the world. People want to live peacefully. People want to live in a peaceful country. But we know that people or countries have always been fighting with each other. There have always been conflicts, wars, or quarrels. And we also know that people have repeatedly tried to establish peace, and they are still trying up to this very day. And in a way, I think it's quite amazing, but also very sad, that world leaders have not been able to successfully establish peace in the world. We know, we have heard it many times, politicians, they use these big words of making peace or signing peace treaties, but then they use weapons to bring about peace. And actually, since quite a young age, I have been thinking, how can these politicians be so stupid to think that weapons will bring about beautiful flowers of peace? Because every child knows an apple seed will produce an apple tree. A cucumber seed will produce a cucumber. Weapons produce blood, hatred, and enmity. You're probably familiar with this sentence, peace is more than the absence of war. Most of the wars or conflicts, quarrels, arise because of anger or aversion, ill will, hatred, or on the other hand, because of desire, wanting, craving. And so anger, aversion on the one hand, desire, craving on the other hand, these states of mind, emotions, arise in the heart and mind of people. But also 
kindness, compassion, friendliness, they also arise in the heart and mind of people. So if we want to make the world free from any states of anger or desire, then we have to ban these destructive emotions from our heart and mind. So the basic cause of all the different wars and quarrels and fights that are going on in the world, the basic cause lies in the heart and mind of people. And you may know that the Buddha had said that everything springs from the mind, that every action originates in the mind. And so we need to tackle this problem at its very root. It means that these unwholesome emotions like aversion, hatred, craving, wanting, they need to be weakened and finally they need to be completely eliminated in each human being, in each living being. Because only when the heart and mind of uh, human beings are no longer controlled or fueled by anger or desire, only then lasting peace will be possible. Shantideva was an Indian Buddhist master who lived in the 8th century. And he had said, how many evil men could I kill? Their number is boundless as the sky. But if the thought of anger is killed, all enemies are killed. And in the preamble to the UNESCO Constitution, it is stated, since war begins in the minds of men, it is in the minds of men that the defenses of peace must be built. Beautiful words, aren't they? But how much of this is really implemented in the education of people. So if we only eliminate anger, aversion, or desire, craving, this is not yet enough to create a good base for peace and mutual understanding. We have to substitute these destructive emotions with some beneficial emotions, beneficial states of mind that conduce to mutual understanding, that conduce to harmony, that conduce to peace. As you know, the opposite of all forms of anger, aversion, hatred, ill will, 
is loving-kindness, friendliness, benevolence, universal love, like metta. And as you also know very well, because you have heard it many times up to now, metta is the wish for the welfare and happiness of all living beings. So metta is not only the absence of anger or aversion, ill will, but it's really this heartfelt wish that all living beings, I myself included, be happy and well. And this heartfelt wish is unconditional, so there should be no expectations whatsoever. It's a wish with no strings attached. And through this practice of metta meditation, we may have experienced for ourselves, at least at certain times, while we are wishing happiness and peace, good health whatsoever, for another person or for all living beings, this actually makes us happy as well. And many of you have reported in the interviews that by now the heart and the mind is becoming increasingly happy or joyful or peaceful as a result of the metta practice. So when we are peaceful, then we are at peace with ourselves and the world. And so whatever is happening in us or around us, so this does not interfere any longer with our inner peacefulness. So we are at ease with ourselves, we are at ease with the world. And in this mode of being, we can meet each person and each situation in a peaceful and friendly way. We also know that anger and all these destructive emotions are actually not helpful because they create so much suffering for ourselves and for others as well. And even if we direct uh, the anger at another person, this anger still and foremost has a great impact on ourselves because the anger actually burns us. It burns our heart and mind. This anger makes us feel crummy, bad. <clears throat> A monk who lives in the Blue Mountains in Australia, near the Blue Mountains Inside Meditation Center, where I regularly teach, he has put it... Um, quite nicely when he said, becoming angry always means 
you are slowly killing yourself. So, why is anger coming up again and again? You know, although we know that anger is not really a beneficial and helpful quality, what is keeping the anger so strong? What does the anger give so much power to arise again and again? Basically, it's the identification with the I or the ego. Our strongly conditioned or habitual identification with what we perceive as an I or a me or an ego. <clears throat> and so based on this identification, when the I, when the ego has been wronged or insulted or hurt, then the ego thinks it has a very good reason to get upset and angry. Then the ego thinks it has a very good reason to express the hurt or the insult with equally angry words or uh, angry deeds. And doing so, somehow, this feels good to the ego, to the I. And we, have, we may have noticed when watching anger, for example, in Vipassana meditation practice, so somehow the I, the ego, enjoys to be angry because this makes the ego feel good. This gives power to the ego and this makes the ego strong and solid. So the ego enjoys that. So anger and other unwholesome mind states or emotions, they are ego boosters because they inflate the ego and make it strong and seemingly solid. And this is why these destructive emotions are so difficult to overcome. As I said, intellectually we know that anger is of no benefit, that it is destructive. If we simply could switch it off for it to never arise again, we would have done it. But, you know, the, the, it's, it's sitting so deep that intellectually we cannot simply uh, switch it off. In the Samyutta Nikaya, there is a short sutta which illustrates this deeply rooted conditioning very nicely, like this identification with anger, or we can take any other emotion. This conditioning that by 
feeding the anger, the anger ego becomes strong. It's the, it's the story of the anger eating demon, and some of you have already heard it one time or several times, but I like this story so much and I never get tired of telling it again and again because it so nicely illustrates this whole process and how we could weaken it. And what will follow now is a slightly elaborated version of the short sutta. So once there lived a demon who had a very peculiar diet. This demon fed on the anger of others, and his feeding ground was the human world, and so there was no lack of food for him. This demon found it very easy to provoke a family quarrel or a conflict and even to cause a war between two countries was not very difficult for him. And once he could incite a war, then he had plenty of food to eat. And then he had to hold back with eating, not to get too fat. So this demon, he had a good life. He always had plenty of food. He was very successful. And sometimes successful people, you know, they get a bit bored because they know, yes, it's very easy. I can provoke quarrels and wars. So he thought, maybe I need a bit, a bigger challenge. Maybe I should choose another feeding ground. So he reflected and then came to the conclusion that he should go to one of the deva realms, celestial beings, because they are said um, to have not as much anger as people have in the human world. Devas do still have anger, but not to that amount as it is found in human beings. And he chose the deva realm where the king of the devas was King Saka. So by magical power, he transferred himself to the deva realm, and he just arrived there at the time when King Saka was not in the audience hall, so when the throne of King Saka was empty. And so the, the demon thought, I will sit on the king's throne, and now I will wait and see what will happen. So as the demon sat on the throne, squat and uh, grinningly, some devas walked by the audience hall, and when they noticed that this ugly and smelly demon was sitting on their beloved king's throne, they got very upset, and they started to shout, 
Oh, you ugly demon, how can you dare to sit on our king's throne? You are such a smelly creature. Go away, get down. More and more devas came and they all uh, got very upset and also started to shout. And, and the demon there, with each angry word, he grew. He grew bigger, stronger, he grew more powerful. And as the devas continued to shout angry words at him, he grew so big that his head almost touched the ceiling of the hall. And then suddenly, King Saka, the king of the devas, entered the audience hall. And King Saka saw this huge, ugly, smelly demon sitting on his throne. But King Saka was not shaken by what he saw because he was a devout disciple of the Buddha and it is said that his Dhamma eye was opened, meaning that he had already attained the first stage of enlightenment. So seeing this ugly huge demon on his throne, he calmly and quietly walked through the audience hall just before the throne, then very politely knelt down on one knee, hands in Anjali, and he greeted the demon, saying, hello, my dear friend, welcome uh, to my palace. You know, remain seated. I can sit on another chair. My friend, can I offer you some coffee or tea? Or maybe you would like to have some organic fruit juice? Maybe you're hungry. Um, would you like something to eat? I think we just have some Burmese coconut noodle soup. Or maybe you would prefer a pizza. Our Italian devas, they can make this gorgeous mushroom pizza with homemade mozzarella. Or maybe you have a sweet tooth. I think our Austrian devas have made this delicious sacher cake. And so with each kind and friendly word that King Saka uh, said, the demon shrank. He got smaller and smaller. And finally, the demon was only as big as a small green pea. And when King Saka uttered one more friendly and kind word, with this, boom, the demon disappeared and was no longer there. As I said, I like this story, this sutta, because it really so nicely illustrates this whole process. We can see as long as we feed the anger, the anger ego, then the anger ego is growing and it is getting strong. So by feeding it, we solidify it. And this is the vicious circle 
the angrier we get, the stronger the anger ego gets. And the stronger the anger ego is, the stronger our anger will become. So how to get out of this vicious circle? We simply need to starve the anger-eating demon. And how can we starve it? By serving him friendly and kind food. You know, kind and friendly thoughts, kind and friendly words, kind and friendly actions. Or in other words, serve him meta thoughts, meta speech, meta actions. Basically, this is the trick. Simple, isn't it? But a bit more difficult to put into practice. However, next time when you get angry, try to remember this story and then try to start feeding the anger with kind and friendly food. You may notice it will work wonders. Not reacting with anger is not a sign of weakness. On the contrary, it's actually a sign of strength. If one is able to stay kind, friendly, open-hearted, this shows how strong the heart and the mind actually is. It shows how well the heart and the mind is trained and educated. So to stay calm, friendly, loving is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Persons who exemplify this inner strength are, for example, the Dalai Lama, the leader of the Tibetan Buddhists, or Venerable Mahagosananda, a Cambodian monk and pacifist. He had died some years ago. So both of these, Venerable Mahagosananda and the Dalai Lama, they were or they are deeply convinced that lasting peace can only be established by peaceful means. But of course, there have also been, and there are still, and there are quite ordinary persons who have come to deeply understand that the use, manifestation of anger is actually counterproductive, that the presence of anger is actually creating more problems than solving problems.
The following story that I'm going to tell happened about 17 years ago in Switzerland. At that time, a school teacher was shot by the father of one of his students. And the student was a girl of 13 years, and this girl came from an Alban Muslim family. And this girl suffered from depression, and she was about to commit suicide. The teacher had realized this, and he was able to rescue her in the last minute before she was going to jump off a bridge. However, the father of that girl got very angry with the teacher because he thought he interpreted it as the teacher was having an, an affair with his daughter. And out of this anger, a few days later, when the teacher was on his way back home, the father shot the teacher. This teacher had been married, and his wife was pregnant with their second child. So his wife could have had very good reasons to get angry with the murderer of her husband. And she could have fallen into resentment, into ill will, anger, and so on. She could have drowned in her big loss, in her grief. But this wife decided to choose the path of love. She decided to choose love for her own sake and for the sake of her children. And 12 years after the loss of her husband, she wrote the book in which she described her struggles and her deep inner transformation. And she even came to a place where she could say that everything that had happened was good in the way it had happened. In other words, she came to a, a complete acceptance of the unfolding of her life. And in that book, she wrote, to make sure that my children did not suffer from traumatic reactions, each kind word and each smile was important. Each minute of being fully present was important. It was important whether I took a breath based on anger or on love. It was so much more important to watch a little bird with the children than to complain about the terrible things that had happened in the past. So choosing the path of love she found inner peace.
in the Visuddhimagga. At the beginning of the chapter on how to practice metta meditation, it is said that one should start the practice by reflecting on certain topics, namely to reflect on the dangers of anger, dosa, and to reflect on the benefits of patience. So here I will present some of these reflections that can be used. And I will start with the reflections on the dangers of dosa. Dosa standing for all forms of anger, hatred, ill will. So when we reflect, we can reflect that when dosa, anger, ill will, exists in the mind, then we will no longer be able to distinguish between good and bad, no longer be able to distinguish between what is wholesome and unwholesome, or reflect that when there is dosa, we can no longer distinguish between what is in accordance with the law and what is against the law. Or we can reflect that when dosa is present in the heart and mind, we are liable to make many mistakes, many faults. We may hurt others, ourselves. Or another reflection is that we reflect that when dosa exists in the mind at the time of death, then our minds will be tormented, will be confused, caught in anger. And as we never know when we are going to die, could be next moment, next week, next year, in 20 years. So being aware that dying with a mind full of dosa, first of all, the mind is tormented by dosa. And it is said dying in such a dosa state that will lead to an unfortunate rebirth in a sorrowful plane of existence. We can also reflect on some other ill effects of anger, dosa, particularly in connection with our body or our health. Dosa, anger, aversion, ill will, is often a cause for high blood pressure or heart disease or stroke. Another reflection, an angry person does not look nice or attractive. Or due to dosa, one is unable to fall asleep or one is unable to sleep, 
unable to sleep, uh, not sleep, no, one is unable to, to really uh, have a good night's sleep. Or due to those, um, one is unable to eat, one loses one's appetite. So these are just a few reflections in regard to dosa that can be done at the beginning, for example, of a sitting meditation. Or it can be done first in the morning. Then here come some reflections on the benefits of patience. The Pali word for patience is kanti. It also includes tolerance or forbearance. And by the way, kanti, patience, tolerance, forbearance, is one of the perfections, the paramis. It's also one of the blessings. So to be patient means that we do not retaliate with anger when we are scolded, abused, hurt, or ill-treated. But we also must understand that this doesn't mean that we simply stay passive, that we just let it happen. When somebody hurts us in any way, we can and we should take appropriate actions. But we can be careful that this action is not based on anger, but that it is based on understanding, wisdom, compassion, kindness. The Buddha mentioned the dangers of impatience and the benefits of patience in a sutta, in a discourse found in the Anguttara Nikaya. So there he said, if we are endowed with patience, then we will be loved by many people. When we are endowed with patience, we will be free from dangers. We will be free from faults, making mistakes. And we will not die with a confused mind, meaning we will die, we are able to die with a calm, clear, mind, and being endowed with patience after death, then we will be reborn in a good destination or in a fortunate plane of existence. At another time, the Buddha also said that there is no benefit that excels patience or tolerance. He said that patience 
is like a weapon of the virtuous person, or the power of patience is like the power of an army that can resist the enemy. So there are many positive aspects of patience. And if you reflect in this way, then reflecting these ways on the benefits of patience, then we will come to better understand the benefits of patience. And the better we, are, better we understand these benefits, we will be more inclined to be patient. We will be more willing to be patient and not to give in to impatience or anger, ill will, and so on. And so in this way, our patience can uh, grow stronger. Many years ago, when I was staying at the branch center of Chamie Yeta Meditation Center, that branch center was in Mobi, about 30 kilometers north of Yangon, we had a foreign meditator who obviously had a very, who was of an angry temperament. He got upset and angry every now and again, and little things that were not the way he wanted them to be, and in Burma, many things are not the way people are used to in the West. He got upset and angry. And somehow he must have noticed that in Burma, people do not get as easily or often upset and angry as people in the West. And in one interview he had with Sayada Ujanaka, where I was present, he asked Sayada Ujanaka why Westerners seem to have more anger than Burmese people. And so I thought, hmm, this is going to be interesting. What will Sayadaw Ujanaka say? And this is Sayadaw Ujanaka's reply. He said, this is so because Westerners do not understand the value and benefit of patience. And I thought, yes, yes, this is quite true. You know, that was 20 or a bit more than 20 years ago. And I reflected that the quality of patience has become quite an awkward commodity in the West. And even nowadays, even more, because almost everything is available instantly. Sense gratifications are just one click away. So people are no longer so patient. So these, are, these reflections on the dangers of dosa, the benefits of patience, can be used in metta meditation when we get stuck 
in negativity or when it is no longer possible to cultivate metta. As I said, you know, this is just one of the many different ways of working with uh, anger or destructive emotions. Ayavira Nyani, yesterday in her talk, has also uh, talked on how we can embrace these destructive emotions in our metta in order to overcome them, to weaken them, you know, not to fight them, not to push them away, which only would make them stronger, but let the metta dissolve these destructive emotions. Or as I said, you know, these, specifically these reflections on the dangers of dosa, benefits of patience, you can take a minute or two at the beginning of a sitting meditation, do these reflections, and then let them be and pick up the practice. In the past years, as we have been holding this metta meditation retreat, Sayadaw U Indaka has said, you know, how we can uh, deal with anger or other disturbing emotions. And once he said, you know, you can proceed like this. So first of all, when anger or any other disturbing emotion is coming up, then acknowledge the anger, but do not pay attention to it, ignore it, and simply continue to cultivate the loving kindness. It's like, you know, not turning the head into the direction of the anger or disturbing emotion, but it's turning the head in the direction of metta, cultivation of loving kindness. And sometimes in this way, you know, not that would fit in with not feeding the anger, it starts, it disappears. Then a second step, Sayada said, would be would be to use these reflections, reflection on the dangers of dosa, reflection on the benefits of patience. And with this, maybe uh, the anger weakens, dissolves. We can let go of it. Then, as a third step, Sayadaw said, you may recall a meta person, meaning a person for whom you usually immediately can arouse a feeling of metta, be that your benefactor, your mother, your aunt, your child, whoever. Just very easily, when you think of that person, it also brings up metta. And Sayadaw said, for him, 
recalling the Buddha, then immediately he is filled with metta. And then Sayada said, when these approaches do not help in letting go of the anger or any destructive emotion, then switch and do vipassana meditation, meaning, you know, be mindful of that anger or other destructive emotion, observe it, feel it, and in this way it may uh, dissolve and you may overcome it. And once it's gone, then you may go back and pick up the metta practice again. Now you have been practicing metta meditation for already a week, a bit more than a week, in this retreat. And most of you have reported that for one reason or another, anger, aversion has arisen during the metta practice. Of course, this can be difficult, this can be challenging, and at times when anger is present, we might think that it is really not possible to cultivate metta, to arouse metta. But the Buddha was very adamant in saying that we really must overcome all forms of hatred, enmity, ill will, or irritation if we want to become completely liberated. There is simply no way around it. And so to this end, to overcome all um, defilements, destructive emotions, so to this end, the practice of metta meditation can be really a great support, a helpful tool to finally overcome all forms of dosa, anger, aversion, enmity. And so on the way there to finally completely eliminate all forms of dosa, metta is incredibly helpful to weaken um, dosa by strengthening its opposite, by strengthening kindness, friendliness, unconditional love. Of course, as we know, the final overcoming of all forms of dosa, the final any elimination happens through wisdom, through insight. There is a very famous verse in the Dhammapada that highlights the fact that anger and enmity can only be overcome by love. Of course, metta, love. That anger, enmity, hatred can never be overcome by hatred or enmity. So it's this verse. Hatred never ceases by hatred. By love 
alone it will cease. This is an eternal law. Hatred never ceases by hatred. By love alone it will cease. This is an eternal law. Although it seems to be so difficult to let go of these negative thoughts and emotions, like anger, aversion, we should make an effort anyway, because it is for our sake. It is for our well-being. It's for our peace of mind. And based on that, for the benefit and welfare of all beings. Hatred, ill will, aversion, anger, these are all unhealthy and actually toxic states of mind. They are really like poison for the heart. And they are nurtured and kept alive by the repetitive thoughts of anger, aversion, ill will, and so on. Be that anger or ill will directed to oneself or to others. When we direct our anger towards another person, then it's actually like drinking the poison oneself and expecting the other person to die of it. Biko Analayo is a German scholar, party scholar, Buddhist scholar, but also a dedicated meditator. And so he has said, every minute Every second I dwell in metta is a moment where I am free from anger. It is training the mind in experiencing the beauty in being without anger. And here comes another example of a person who deeply understood that all notions of anger and enmity is actually, first of all, poisoning one's own heart and mind. It's about a Burmese man. His name is Utin U. He was a member of the NLD, National League for Democracy, at the time when it was not yet allowed. And so for that, he had been in prison for many, many years. And during his many years in prison, he was very careful to not let his mind be overcome by habitual patterns, like the habitual pattern of ill will, hatred, anger. So he tried to see the wardens in the prison, the officers in the prison, not as his enemies, as one usually would do, but he tried to perceive them as his friends. So he tried not to have feelings of enmity towards people who simply had to perform their duties. 
In an interview with Alan Clements, Utin U said, During that time in prison, I made it a habit to practice generosity. I offered the wardens, the officers, some, some of the food that my wife brought me here into the prison. With this act of generosity, an act of kindness, I wanted to prevent any notion of seeing them as my enemies. So I usually shared some of my food with them. They too had a hard life in prison, even though they were only working there and not being imprisoned. So even if peace out there in the world is not yet a reality, even if people consider others to be their enemies, it is possible to establish peace in ourselves. It is possible to abandon the notion of enemy. The cultivation of metta provides this path to inner peace so that we can be at peace with ourselves and the world around us. I want to finish this talk with this short saying. Treat everyone with kindness, even those who are rude to you, not because they are not nice, but because you are nice. So through our dedicated and wholehearted meta practice, may there be peace in our heart, may there be peace in the world. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.